0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to teach a message on passing tests. And as you can see by the way of the video, some of us do better with testing than others. And I don't know about you, but I saw myself in several of those children. Uh, Probably the one that I related to the most is where the marshmallow looked like kind of an apple core after she had nibbled around it, but she was still looking for partial credit. Don't you think so? And she was expecting maybe the, the double portion at the end because she didn't eat the whole thing. And then I love the little girl who, before the teacher even leaves and says, hey, if you, you want to, you, you can wait and I'll give you another one. She goes, forget about it. I'm going to satisfy my desire right now. Whenever we talk about testing, or we even mention the word test, we get flashbacks to childhood and uh, to our school days, and when a teacher sometimes would even mention that you had a test that was coming up, or that teacher that sometimes would give pop quizzes, those were the ones that I disliked the most. Uh, because they gave you no warning. But some of us, even if we were warned that the test was going to be a week away, we would start having anxiety from the moment they announced the test till we took the test. And most of us know people that just because of the mental block and the anxiety, their testing never connected to their Uh, you know, their intelligence or their ability to know the information. But it was just going through the process of the test that freaked them out. And so many people come into a test and they just look at it. They have anxiety. They start, uh, you know, going through all kind of emotional responses. And they just say, it just makes no sense for me to even try. I'm going to flunk it anyway. And I think that we do that spiritually, Many of us do not know how to respond to God in the midst of testing. And some of us, just because we sense when a test comes upon us, and you can sense it when it's beginning to happen, and all of a sudden our spiritual radar starts going off, and and, and we get, oh, Lord, I'm going to be led into the valley of the shadow. And I should have prayed this morning. Lord, lead us not into temptation. But today is going to be a day of trial. Today is going to be a day of testing And I think God wants us to not only know how to prepare for tests, but while we're going through them, he wants to equip us with a number of truths that when we're in the process of persevering and enduring through them, that we pass them successfully. A great brother in the Lord, Francis Frangipan, and many of us have been blessed by his books and by his teachings he makes this statement, and many of you have heard it already, but I'm going to repeat it. He said that we are never doomed to fail God's test, and God flunks us out. But God, when we flunk a test, you, I can guarantee you, because God is a God who sets us up not for failure, but actually whenever he allows and permits testing, it is because he wants us to overcome. He's actually trying to prepare prepare us for a new level of promotion. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to be an overcomer. And so God does not permit testing unless he feels that you're ready to take that test. And unless also the outcome of it, he believes that you could be successful to navigate through those waters of trial. And so God wants to come alongside of us, and he not only wants to lead us into the temptation. How many of you believe that it's very important that if you're going to go into a test, that someone is leading you, guiding you through that thing? Someone that's gone through that type of testing before himself or herself? I want somebody that knows and has experience in knowing how to overcome and before I continue, and we're going to read this verse, I just want to say the reason why I believe this message is, is so vital and imperative for the body of Christ is because number one, I believe we're a nation of quitters, and we have a culture of quitting instead of developing a culture of perseverance, and a, which breeds a culture of overcoming, And so God really does. He wants to to say, I want you to be fully equipped and prepared. Know that when I permit a temptation, I'm going to lead you into that test. And I've been there before you. And because I know the waters that you're going to navigate and the fire that you're going to pass through, I know the way to get through it. And so follow my lead. And while you're going through it, I'm going to be a mentor there. I'm going to be one that is going to be called alongside of you. And I'm going to help you. And if you will ask me for wisdom and if you ask me for uh, insight and you don't panic in that moment of pressure, I will walk you through it. And you're going to come on the other side of it filled with more faith, more strength. You're going to have experienced more of my glory and more of my grace. Now, the teachers that I loved the most when I was going through school is not the pop quiz guy and not the one who, you know, just kind of when they said, we're going to have a test next week, they went, ooh, you know, I didn't like that type of teacher. You know, there are some teachers that are so twisted that they enjoyed the process of testing because they, it was their way of getting back at the belligerent student, Right. It was their way of getting back at the juvenile delinquents. But I loved the teacher who said, tomorrow you're going to have a test. And I'm going to give you a study guide. And I want you to know that the study guide is filled with every one of the questions that are going to be on the test that you will see tomorrow. And it was like, yes, you like me, (laughs) you know. In other words, the purpose of the testing was to prepare you to succeed and not to fail. And I think we've got to get that in God. Now, let's read James chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Verse 2. And this is something that I think, and when I hear James say this, this troubles me just a little bit. But he says, "...consider it pure joy, my brothers." Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do I have anybody here that likes to watch the NFL Network? Okay. One honest man, the rest of the men are lying. All right. Right here in God's house this morning. Well, in the NFL Network, and I've got a couple sons that just are football addicts, and so everything that relates to football, the NFL, and my, in particular, Jesse, he loves to watch this program that the name of the segment is, come, is called Come On, Man. Anybody ever watch that? And what they'll do is the football players, they'll review what happened in this week in the NFL And if there's some crazy thing that an NFL player did on the field or off the field, or if he said some crazy thing on or off the field, what they'll do is they will just review the week, but they will select one audacious, stupid thing that some player did. And at the end of that segment, they'll all look at it and they'll go, come on, man. In other words... What are you doing? What were you thinking when you did this? Well, when James writes about testing, and this was a a man who was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, and he pastored that church at really a climatic moment when the Jerusalem church was pressed to the max. Matter of fact, the persecution was so hot and intense, many of them evacuated the city. James wrote this letter to people that were now scattered throughout the Roman Empire, different cities, different nations, and as a pastor who had pastored them and that watched his flock dwindle as they were scattered throughout the nations, he sends them this lesson and he goes, guys, I want you to know you've gone through intense testing and some of you are still going through it as a follower of Jesus. Many of you experienced the confiscation of your goods. You went through arrest. You went through trials. You went through persecution. Some of you were beaten. Some of you watched uh, loved ones martyred and killed. And now you don't know if today is going to be your last day of living for God. And so these people were under intense persecution. And James, writing to them, reconnecting with them, makes this statement. And personally, I want to say to James, come on, man. you got to be kidding me. Instead of saying, guys, you've been tested. I want to encourage you, don't give up. He starts out in this verse with this statement saying, I want you to count it all Joy. When various trials sometimes come out of nowhere. It's like being blindsided and they come out of nowhere and you find yourself being tested in your faith. Now I don't want to talk about that point of the verse now where it says count it all joy. I want to continue to unpack it a little bit and we're going to see at the end of the message how that that is a spiritual reality. If we know God's purpose and what God is trying to get at in the testing, we literally, when we start going in it and we sense it, instead of having anxiety or even just kind of that thing of questioning God, why, again, God, am I going through this? If we'll begin to learn to cooperate with the grace of God in the midst of testing, I believe that this is not just some fantastical statement that, you know, it's kind of like this, this religious thing that James pulls out of his hat and says, I don't know what else to say to you, so I'm going to just say something so audacious to you that maybe it'll distract what you're going through. No, I believe James knew exactly what he meant. And he knew what he was saying because there was something that had happened in James in the midst of what he had gone through as a leader leading the Jerusalem church. And there was a maturing, and there was a perfecting, and there was something about his faith where God multiplied something in him that now on the backside of leading a church in the middle of that type of environment, he said there is a joy strength, and confidence that we can have no matter what comes our way. No matter where you're at or where you've been scattered to, I want you to have confidence in God in the midst of the testing and in the midst of the storm. Now what James says after counting it all joy is he said, I want you to begin to, the King James or the New King James I believe says, to count it all joy. The NIV that I just read to you, it says, consider all joy. This word is an interesting word because it means to press your mind down into the subject. In other words, when he says consider, it's not just a momentary thing of just like, oh, I'll think about that sometime. Whenever I get around to it, whenever I have time. No, what he is saying is he says, guys, in this moment of trial and testing that you're going through right now, I want you to take a moment because I want the outcome of the experience to be a joy that's unspeakable and that is filled with you encountering the glory of God. I want you to take a quantum leap into maturity and Christ-likeness. In other words, in the middle of the trial, you had transformational moments where you walked through the valley of the shadow. You came out on the other side perfected. You came out on the other side of it changed forever, by the experience. And that's where the joy then comes from. The confidence, knowing that this thing didn't kill me, it wasn't designed to kill me. It wasn't designed to set me up to destroy me or to cause me to get a flunking grade. Actually, God was in the middle of it because he had something better on the other side for me. And so now, whenever I find myself in testing and trial instead of trying to escape, getting angry, having anxiety and meltdown. I'm going to lean hard into the grace of God and understanding that you can cooperate with God in the midst of it. And you can understand that God's goodness will see you through to the other side. So he says, guys, I want you to press your mind down into it. I really want you to consider. I really want you to take deep, thoughtful moments, and consider what is, God is doing in the middle of your test. Now, there are three things that I, I believe to help prepare us to pass tests. How many are ready to be prepared and equipped to pass tests? And when I, when I say this, hopefully this is not just a message that we go through in a half hour, 45 minutes, and go, okay, here are three points. I'm not kidding you. I would like you to keep this kind of as a grid, as you can go, okay, when I start getting into something, and I know that it's going to test me, I need the answers to these three questions. And I'm finding that the more I ask God the right questions, how many of you know he has the right answers? And he's willing to give you the answers if we start asking the right questions. The reason why sometimes we don't get the right answers from God is because we're not seeking his wisdom. We've got questions, but they're not questions that are partnered with a heart that seeks after the ways of God and the wisdom of God. And so there are three questions when you start going, and this will help you press your mind into it to really get the most out of your test, to get the most out of the success of it because I don't want to go through it again. (laughs) You go, well, some of you say, well, Lynn, you're not motivating me at all. This should motivate you. If you get the right questions, you can ask God the right question, get the right answers, and then he can equip you and prepare you for the test, and you can ace it to where you don't have to do it again, over and over again. And so the first one that I need to say is, okay, God, how is this test going to reconnect me with your heart, which relates to his personhood? And I found that every time that God permits testing, it is not that he wants this to separate me from his love or disconnect me from his love, but we need to understand God permits testing When he sees that sometimes our hearts have lost connection with him. Listen, testing is not the best teacher. The word of God is the best teacher. But sometimes when I'm in life and I'm going through the busyness of that 24-7 cycle and, and, you know, the running and the going and the coming and got to get here and got to go there and got this schedule and that schedule... Sometimes we get into that place where we go, God, I know you're still there, and I'm still here. I love you, and you love me. But we really haven't deepened our level of intimacy. It's kind of like marriage with kids. Sometimes, you know, I joke with Carmen, you know, I'll race you to sleep tonight, you know. Because this is the first time that we connect and basically it's that moment of, you're still alive, I'm still alive, I still love you, you still love me, good. Guess what? Good night, you know. I'm going to go to sleep because I would like to have a conversation with you. I would like to have deep, meaningful thoughts with you right now. But I am so exhausted because of these kids that God gave us. And so intimacy is really out of the question. There have been times where I've been in bed with my wife laying there trying to unpack my heart to her only to hear her go. Carmen, when I was trying to share with you what happened to me today, some of the things that I went through, and and you really couldn't stay awake with me, of course she couldn't stay awake. She was raising three toddlers sometimes we do that with the Lord, we disconnect in our intimacy, we're still somehow at a distance connected with God, but God longs for us, and He longs for reconnection with intimacy, and He says, the way I'm going to turn this around and reconnect our hearts together is I'm going to allow you to experience some pressure, and I'm going to drive you back into my arms. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to require you because right now you seem to have life all figured out. And, you know, you, you, you basically you, you just treat me at a distance and I'm a reference point to you, but basically you feel like you've got it all figured out. I'm going to bring you into a situation where you don't have it all figured out. And James in this passage, he in the context of testing He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. God is willing to allow you to be brought into a situation that, again, goes beyond your ability to think your way out of it or plan your way out of it or strategize your way out of it where you come to that point where you look at it and say, God, I need you and I need you now. I need your wisdom. I need to call upon you. We've got to talk. And God will do that. And when you come in there, he doesn't say, where have you been, young man? Or old man? Or fat man? Whatever whatever is your descriptor. But he will just say, come, come, let me teach you. Do you find yourself in a test? Do you find yourself stretched beyond measure? Do you not have the wisdom that you need? I'm glad that you're able to come to the throne of grace and I will give you the wisdom you need. But while I'm imparting the wisdom, will you allow me to hold you? Will you allow me to hug you? Will you allow me to kiss you? Will you allow me to secure you in my love because I really missed you, son? And so we need to say, God, what are you doing? And that connects us to that personhood of God. God, what are you doing in my life? What's going on right now? I sense that this is a test and I'm being stretched. So what are you doing? And what we do is when we begin to ask that question, not God, why is this happening? But God, what are you doing? When we ask that question of what are you doing? He begins to impart wisdom. And in the midst of the wisdom comes a renewed intimacy. The second thing you need to ask yourself is, God, why am I still here? Which relates to purpose. Because there have been some times where I've gone through tests, well, I've wrongly attributed a motive to God, which has been incorrect. I've said, God, you've brought me to this point in my life just to kill me. (laughs) And to do it in front of my wife and my children. Listen, if you listen, if it was God's motive and intention to kill you, he would have done that in childhood. Did you hear what I said? That was an attempt at humor. If God wanted to kill you, he would have done it when you were a child and he would have used your parents to do it. Because from time to time they were inspired to do so. That's right. Now, I know none of you as parents have ever thought about saying, honey, I want to strangle that child. And that's the one that looks like you the most. (laughs) So let's get that thought out of our head. We need to say, God, you know, uh, I'm still here. And so why am I still here? And so just get the thought out of your head that God's not trying to destroy you, not trying to kill you. He's not trying to end your life, not trying to, you know, humiliate you, shame you, embarrass you, none of those things. But when you answer that question, why am I still here? You begin to connect into the purpose of God. You begin to see that He has a plan and He has a purpose. And so we connect back in intimacy with God. We connect to His personhood. But then we begin to be re-familiarized with His purpose and that His hand is upon our life. You don't think that you're going to reach your destiny and fulfill all that God's called you to do simply by having no capacity to do what He's called you to do. I've had people come up to me and say, God's called me to do X, Y, Z. And it's pretty grandiose. And you realize they don't have a skill set. They have no capacities. They have no ability to do that. And I'm not the one to tell them, well, you may be chasing a religious fantasy. But I've met people that have said, God's called me to do that. And I thought, really, from where you're at? But they get it. They need to be enlarged in their capacity, they've got to grow, they've got to mature. And so when God calls you to do something that is a God calling and it's beyond your skill set and your capacities and your abilities, you need to understand that you're going to go to school. It's called the school of Christ. And that school of Christ is going to have a number of tests that you're going to pass. You're going to pass relational tests. And some of those relational tests are going to be the school of misunderstanding 101. How many of you flunked out of that one? Because you just thought if God called you, everybody would understand what your calling was. And everybody would accept it and receive it and celebrate it. And that you would just immediately be promoted and you would be preaching to thousands overnight. Because you read that in a book somewhere. The problem is the writer of that book didn't tell you the 20 years of hell they went through to have the overnight success to preach to thousands. Whenever God brings a public promotion to somebody, there are private tests that they have had to walk through. They've had to many times suffer in silence and in hiddenness, in pressures and temptations and trials and fighting inner demons that nobody knows about. You know, this is kind of like that Lord of the Ring movie movie, when the wizard stands and he goes, thou shalt not pass, you know. And when he does that, the walkway gives way and he has this you know, tangling with this dragon being, and then when he finally reappears in the other movie on the scene, and he has survived, he tells the trials that he went through, he said, I fought him on the highest peaks, and I fought him in the lowest depths, and I fought him through the fire, and all this stuff, and he goes, that's how I've been changed. Well, I tell you what, when I watched that movie, I went, I identify with you. Because you go through the fires, and you go through the waters. and God refines you and shapes you. And there are tests that you've dealt with from childhood, and then there are new tests that you never thought that you would be tested in that way. But now you are. But I want to encourage you today. It is not to defeat you or to disqualify you. It is to refine you so that you have a new authority in life now to bring transformation and deliverance to other people. I love that statement that Bill Johnson states, that people's testimonies are prophecies that prophesy into other people's lives for their breakthrough. And when you have gone through the fire and you have been refined and you have been tested, you now have an authority now to speak into other people's lives. You have an authority in the realm of the Spirit to address those things that are oppressing other people because you have overcome just as Jesus has overcome. You could have quit. You could have given up. You could have walked away. But you said, I am going to connect with God's purpose in the shaping. So take your hammer and chisel, God, and continue to make me the piece of workmanship that you have ordained me to be. The works that you have ordained inside of me to come forth out of my life. Remove all of the marble around that sculpture. Because you see the beauty of what you're trying to get at inside. So you connect with the pur- purpose of God. And I think the last question that you've got to connect with is you've got to say, God, what, what people in my life are you trying to touch? You want to reconnect to the personhood of God? You want to reconnect to the purpose of God in your life? And then you need to pray and say, God, you never bring us through a period of testing Unless in your heart, and your mind, you're thinking about people that can be touched and reached by what's going on in my life. I don't know about you, but have you ever gone to a funeral and in stark contrast and in vivid colors, you see how believers handle death in contrast to those that do not know the Lord. In stark contrast, you see how Believers that are mature and have gone through a few things, how they handle adversity versus those that do not have hope in God. Things that would have killed them and just destroyed them and debilitated at one time, now they're able, even in the darkest of situations, they have an anchor of hope that tethers them to the throne of God. You connect in with the goodness of God's heart. And saying, just like when the Lord spoke to the disciples on his way to go raise Lazarus from the dead, he said, Lazarus is sleeping. They said, this is good. And they said, no, you don't get it. I was using that as a metaphor. He's dead. But the sickness whereof he died is not for permanent death, but for the glory of God. So when we get into the purpose of God, the personhood, reestablish intimacy, and then we start seeing God... Maybe this test is not just all about me, but what you're doing in me so that something can come out of me so other people around me can see the glory. Because we have this glory in an earthen vessel so that when they see the glory revealed in and through us, it can be a clear contrast where people say, this message was not from you because I know you. God was speaking through you to me today. Or when you see somebody do something and it is something that requires something that is only possible by the activity of God. That's why we say it is a miracle. It's a miracle. How do we, why do we say that? It's because only the hand of God at work could have done that, not the hand of man. And that's what we want to see. We want our neighbors. We want our families. We want people that we work with, go to school with. We want to say, God, we want to be prepared to take tests. We want to know how to pass the test with flying colors because there is a world that's waiting to see your glory. And so I've got to start learning how to take these and respond in the right way so that as the pressure Builds and, and sometimes the fire and the intensity of the heat is kindled against me. That somehow something does come out of me. Something is brought to the surface. And it's not just impurities. But it is a silver that has been refined in the fire. It is a gold that has been refined in the fire. It is a glory that is visible and tangible that can be seen. That's what's going to take to move. Our pessimistic world. And so you say, Lynn, again, why is it imperative to teach this message? Because the world is desperately hungry for what's inside of you, but it cannot get out of you until there is sometimes pressure that pushes it out to where it can be visibly seen. Now I want to just talk to you just a few more moments about a couple other things about testing that I hope will prepare you. Okay, what time is it? 11.43, okay. God not only wants to prepare for the test, but he wants us to understand that more than knowing just being rightly prepared and knowing the right questions to ask when we go through it, he wants us to be able to understand that it's just not the outcome of the test that he's looking for, But in testing, there's a whole process that he wants us to be successful at. I've seen my kids be given assignments by me, and they complete the the assignment. In other words, boys take the trash down the hill because we're going to have trash pickup tomorrow. And they've completed the task. They have complied. They've been obedient. It's stretched them. Because they've had to stop doing this. The garbage, really? Again this week? They're picking up the garbage again this week? And again, you're asking me to do it this week again? Are you kidding me? You mean I'm going to have to press pause? Yes, you big boy. And now I just threaten them to cut them off of food, you know. I find that with teenagers, the only leverage you have is food. So, one, and we do this tongue-in-cheek. It's all fun. But one of them the other day, you know, just kind of said, mm, you know, I'm a man now. And I said, okay, big man, go get your own food tonight. And I joked with him. I said, Carmen, put one less plate out for the table because we've got a graduate here. You're going to go out there and you're going to get your own food tonight. All of a sudden, there was a moment of clarity that came (laughs) and a renewed sense of humility. But I've watched them. And so they take the garbage thing, and they're going down the hill. And you would have thought that I had asked them, could they plan a manned mission to Mars? (laughs) You know, and they drag it down there. And you can hear them, you know, bickering with each other. Watch that trash can. You bumped into mine. And, you know, it's making it harder for me to pull mine. You know, stay out of my way, Josh. You know, all these things. And so do they get it down there? We all celebrate yes. But, you know, as a dad, am I impressed by that? No. Matter of fact, I'm going. (laughs) I would say you know my thoughts. But (laughs) Eric said, you disgust me, you know. So. so God does want the outcome to be a passing test. But he wants the process to be something where we learn to value and appreciate. And so it's very important not just to ask the right question where you get, oh, if I know the right questions and God guides me, I'm going to get an A at the end of this thing. No, we've got to have another level of preparation that helps us walk through the process. Okay? Now, in the next hour, I'm going to share with you. No, just kidding. Some of you thought, that's a test that's beyond what I can endure. Somebody surveyed 100 Christians and asked them what their reactions were When they were enduring a test. In other words, in the process of testing. Needless to say, the top three answers were not I will enter his gates with thanksgiving into my heart and into his courts with praise. You know, I thank God every day for the test that I'm enduring right now. I love you more, Jesus. Bring it on. Those were not some of the top three answers. Now, I need somebody. Chris, could you help me? <clears throat> I'll share you what the top answer is. James said the testing of your faith is working perseverance. The word for perseverance is kind of a poor translation. Some of them says patience in King James or New King James. But this word in the Greek means someone that can stand under says, so the testing of your faith can produce an ability to stand under. And the visual for this is where somebody's weight, all 215 pounds, begins to just come on you, and you carry this weight. And sometimes it's like dead weight. Thank you. Now, I've watched, again, using the illustration of my children, and Chris didn't do that for me because he probably knows I'm a weak man and he needs to be gentle. But I've watched people jump on people's backs and their instinctual reaction whenever sudden weight and pressure comes upon them. What do they do? They shake, and Shelley was right. They throw an elbow, and normally it's accompanied by the phrase, Get off of me. Now, the process of testing, the subject matter of testing is your faith. But in the process of testing, it is to produce an ability within you to stand up under more than what you have before. To where you can learn to carry more. No matter what level of pressure or weight that is thrown your way. And whether it's suddenly a 200-pound man jumping on your back in the middle of a church service, you could tell this man is a muscle man. He could take it. But could he take it if all of a sudden he was walking by and he didn't know that I was going to do it? And I did a Pink Panther thing. I just leaped out of the closet. And I jumped on his back. Would we get the thing of, get off of me. The first reaction of believers, when 100 believers were asked in a survey, what you do in the middle of testing, they look for the on-ramps of escape. Whatever they have to do to get out from the stress, get out from the pressure, they look for that panic button to say, I'm out of here. This is so important. That's why when you start going deeper in the statistics, looking at the church in comparison to world culture, we statistically do not look any different in divorce rates or how we handle things at work or how we do anything as it relates to relationships in the world. We fail as much as the world does, but yet we claim to have the spirit of the living God, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of us. Something is wrong. We have adapted the world's culture of quitting and escaping versus learning to stand under. That is the first one. I'm out of here. I'm going to escape. The second one is when you know that you can't escape because it will look bad if you quit. The second one is to get angry, but to allow that anger to manifest to everybody else and let them know that you're ticked. Come on, this is where a lot of us are. I'm not happy, I'm stuck. You know, I've reached a dead end in my life. I thought I was going somewhere fast, and look at me. I'm stuck, and I'm not happy about it. I'm ticked, but I can't do anything about it because God has hemmed me in on every side. I'm like Jonah, stuck in the belly of a whale on the bottom of the sea floor. There is no other alternative. He has hemmed me in on every side. He's put a hedge of thorns around me whereby I cannot follow after other lovers or other comforts or other things that could pacify me right now. But since I know that I'm stuck, I'm mad, and I'm going to get mad at God about this. Yeah, I knew you'd do this to me. And I, I want you to know I'm just going to throw a tantrum to you right now, God. But then also those that are around us that probably love us and support us the most is we're gonna let them know. I'm upset, and you're gonna know about it, Sean. You're gonna know about it. Mama's not happy, nobody's happy. (laughs) That's right. Everybody's gonna know about that. I'm not happy. God has me in the in the grip, I'm in the grip of God, and He won't let me go. And I'm being squeezed, and I'm starting to scream, and everybody's going to know the pain I'm in. Now, I know that this is referring to other churches in this community and nobody here. But if we, if we can escape, many of us, we will. We'll just try to escape. If we can't escape, we will allow anger and frustration just to boil over, and we'll allow that toxin to be released to everybody around us. Because if we're miserable, we're going to let everybody else be in misery with us. And then there's a third one, which I kind of like it the most. Because it allows you to preserve your sense of dignity. No, not really, Eric. It's not about blaming you. How many have ever seen somebody that they were going through a time of trial, but they were going to come off like Joan of Arc? They were going to be burned at the stake, but all the way they were going to be burned at the stake, they wanted everybody to know, I'm going to suffer this for the season right now, and everybody's going to pity me at the end. I want you to know, I will have the most self-pity. Because that thing comes off religious, and it looks like there's a dignity to it, but the purpose is is to get self-pity. Not about growing, not about maturing, Not about stepping up and saying, okay, I am on the hot seat, and it looks like God is not going to let this cup pass, but I'm going to go ahead and learn my lesson and go on. But instead of just saying, okay, God, what are you doing? You're not killing me in this. You're going to reveal your glory and your goodness, and I'm reconnecting you with intimacy, and I'm seeking your wisdom. And God, who are you trying to reach through this situation? Who can I touch? Instead of us doing that, if we're only focused on self and trying to get pity, After a while, it gets tired of living in pity town. And you look religious in the midst of doing it, but you are going nowhere fast. And so what we've got to do is we've got to say, God, cut me off from that thing that would seek out a pity from man, but go ahead and cut that thing off and allow me begin to draw strength from you. God, let me do a U-turn instead of seeking in the on-ramp to where this turns into my fourth marriage, that I draw a line and say, "Listen, I should have learned something in the first one and the second one and the third one, but I've not learned anything. I'm going to do a UE and I'm going to go ahead and say. Let this be the last one. It's time for me to learn to stand up under some things. It's time for me to quit blaming them for everything and say, God, there, there may have been some issues. And, and can I make this statement? When you share a message like this, people will immediately go to the worst case scenario and try to make it the rule. You don't understand the abuse that I was in. If you think that I'm telling you to stand under physical abuse or things that are violent, I'm not. But listen to my heart. You cannot make the exception to the rule the rule. I understand there are exceptions to the rule. If you have a spouse that's trying to kill you, I want to give you the wisdom that God will give you as you seek wisdom from him. Get out. He's trying to kill you. But you know what we do because we've developed a quitting culture that we have the slightest of offenses going on. We get the slightest pressure, we get into an argument. And that, that argument begins to spiral into something and, and really we just go, that's it, I've had enough, I'm done. I don't have to, we listen to Dr. Phil more than we do the Word of God. And I'm tired of these people on television, the media, telling us how we are to live as believers that triumph the Word of God. And what they're telling us is, I don't have to take this. I don't have to deal with that. Not me. Do you know who I am? I don't have to take anybody, you know, resisting anything about me. I'm out of here. I tell you what, God is wanting us to start learning to not just carry the weight, but learn to pump the weight. He wants us to get mean. He wants us to get lean. He wants us to get spiritually fit because James said that the outcome of the testing of the faith builds an ability to endure and to stand under more and more. And the longer you go, the stronger you get. And when you finish, you come out with Christ-likeness. If there is ever an issue, not only in the world but in the church, is this issue of the dumbing down of Christianity and the crisis of shallowness in the church? And where are the men and women of God that will stand up and say, I'm okay with what Dr. Phil says, but that's not the Bible? That's the worst case scenario, but the rule is if I'm not getting along with my spouse, I better learn how to get along with my spouse because I made a vow to her that I would love her till the day she dies. But what we do is like, forget what I said at the altar, the vow, to death do I part because I'm out of here. You don't know who you're, you offended. Where have we gone? And you go, well, I don't know if she loves me anymore. Well, the reason why we don't have, we don't know whether there's real love there is we've not many times allowed love to even have time to be tested to develop. I love my wife far more than I did when I said I do. You know why? Because we've gone through a few things. <laughs> and yes, I don't get as Twitter-pated as often. Twitter pated. You haven't watched Bambi in quite a while, have you, Pastor Eric? Heal, 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 Lord. Watch the video, you'll be healed. When Bambi fell in love with Fallon, he was Twitter pated. Yeah, he was Twitter pated. But you know what? At that moment, it was about a vow, but we had had no experience together. We just stated, I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to cherish you. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to sacrifice on your behalf. You know, and no matter what we go through together, this is what I'm stating to do. But many of us have made statements, and then when it came to the test where that vow could become a reality, I'm out and i want to encourage you don't look for the out don't look to be the martyr don't allow the anger to and the blame game to occur stand there and take it you know there's a verse and it's actually found in the bible the bible You know this thing that we should get out every now and then because it reveals the thoughts, intents, and the heart of God? Paul, the apostle, which saw Jesus face to face, some moral authority, credibility here, he said to the Corinthian Christians who had developed this attitude, well, you're not going to do anything like that to me. I'll sue your sorry. You know what he said? He said it would be better for you sometimes to just take the wrong and endure it. My wife has to remind me of that verse every now and then. And I, I just, I hate it when she does it. She pulls it out like a little dagger. Because sometimes what I want to do is I don't, I don't need to take that anymore. I've taken a lot. I don't need to take that anymore. And, and the wisdom of God and my wife, who has been a great confidant to me, will tell me, Lynn, after suffering so long and enduring so much and being this close to the prize, Lynn, why don't you just suffer a little while longer? Now, that comes out kind of humorous. I am serious as a heart attack some of us are about ready to throw our spiritual walks away after we pass some initial tests, but you're in the final. Final exam is when you get the diploma. It's when you get the promotion. When all of a sudden God says, I know you didn't understand in the beginning what I was trying to do, but I'm so glad you stood up under it and you endured it. And yes, you were misunderstood, and yes, you were rejected, and yes, people mistreated you. People said things about you that weren't true. And instead of you lobbying and defending yourself, you just kept your mouth shut. When you could have sued them, or you could have, you know, went and eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you could have, you could have done the same thing that they were doing to you, but you didn't. And because you didn't do it, But you responded to my grace, and you were like me, which is what I was after. This is what you get. You get to be a partaker with me in my inheritance. And I don't know about you. There's nothing in this world. The older you get, you start thinking in weird ways. There's nothing in this world that I want anymore but to be like him and to be with him where he is. And on that day, I want to stand there before him and him tell me, well done. But I also want you to know one other thing. You look a lot like me. That when we see him, we go, God, I'm glad I didn't quit on my marriage. I'm glad I didn't quit on my kids. Which I found out once you kind of mature your love in marriage and you give up the right to quit and you finally, you know,
1: get into that
0: sweet zone of marriage where you're not wanting to fight all the time, kill each other, but you just kind of reach that place of love and acceptance and forgiveness. Then you go through it with your kids. And then you compound that with church people. Oh, Lord Jesus, save us. The people in my small group, people in my fellowship, the people that work. And I know that that my boss is demon-possessed and is a candidate for being the Antichrist in the last days. If any of you want to talk to me about who you think the Antichrist is, come talk to me. I think I work with him. Isn't it true? You cannot escape. We're in it. We're not going anywhere. That's why we've got to say, God, not going anywhere. I'm called to be loved by you, but I'm called to allow your love to be perfected in me. And I'm called to love my family, my kids, my wife. I'm called to love my neighbor as myself. I'm called to love that contrary boss or coworker. That neighbor who knows I'm a preacher and he thinks that all preachers are hypocrites and he just tests me all the time to see if I'm actually going to act like him. And that every move that my kids made in the yard, if there was a stray ball or anything, he was there. Go get your dad. And I know that instead of him telling my kids, I don't want your balls in my yard. Get them and get them over there. He would have the kids come and get me so he could chew me out because he knew that I was a preacher and he had some issue with preachers. And so that he would chew me out and I would sit there and go, Bob, you're right. My kids shouldn't have kicked the ball in your yard. Well, I'll try to talk to them. Is there anything I could do for you? Now I can talk to that guy. And that guy can tell me, you know, I've met a lot of preachers. But you're the first one I've been able to talk to. But you know what? Many times I was tempted to do, get over it, Bob. Kids kick soccer balls into other yards. If you got a problem, put a fence around your yard. Isn't that the way we are? I'm glad that I suffered long. I'm glad that I I just bit my tongue and said, Jesus, is Bob one that you're trying to reach? And he's never seen Jesus. He's seen a lot of religious junk from the church and religious junk from preachers that God, in the midst of while he's dressing me down and being an antagonist to me, not my kids, would Jesus be seen? Amen. And when his marriage was falling apart, guess who came over to our house and said, I'm leaving? But would you please look after my kids, and would you talk to my wife? It wasn't the home down the street. And in that moment, I began to think, God, thank you. That I passed some type of test. And this man, being so mean and cynical, and I could tell that there was just a pleasure in the persecution, just over a ball being kicked in the yard. We've got to get it right. We've got to pass some tests. Let's pray. Stand on your feet. Thank you, Lord. I was tempted... Uh, because this is the first time I've shared here since the beginning of the year. I, I, I was actually tempted of, of titling this, you know, because preachers at the beginning of the year, they always come up with the theme of the year. I, I was tempted to title this message, "The Year of Testing." <laughs> but I thought <laughs> <laughs> But I thought that Eric would say, "Thank you, Lynn. this will be the last time you're coming for a while." But I say that jokingly, but how many of you know uh, there are a lot of great things that are going to happen in God, but those great things, those testimonies, those great things that are going to happen are going to be a result of you passing a test. Guess what? Phonetically, let's just break down testimony, test slash money. <laughs> if you're going to have the money, you're going to have a test. And then you get a testimony. But all the year, year 2013, the year of glory, the year of faith, the year whatever it was that you heard different individuals talk about, this is the year that God wants to do this. The year of hearing, healing. All those things are going to be as a result. There being some crisis, some test. Nobody gets healed unless there was a sickness. Nobody gets delivered unless there's been oppression. It all comes by some crucible that people pass through. And so I could actually say this is going to be a year of testing. But it could be the greatest year because God is equipping us to pass it. And as we walk through the process, we learn to stand up under it in a better way. God, I pray for your, your people. God, you make everything beautiful, in it's time. And you are beautifying our lives. You're taking us from glory to glory, grace to grace, strength to strength, faith to faith. You're doing so much in us. But I know that right now many of us are either going into one or in the middle of one or we're coming out of one. I pray, God, that the word today would be just sealed cemented in our hearts, these questions that I ask your people to begin to inquire of the Lord when they're in the middle of this, God, that you would begin to grant your people wisdom that they've never known. They would begin to see your purpose, your goodness, your glory in the midst of sometimes pain. God, I also pray that while we're walking through it and you're you're making our testimony, you're building our testimony, God, would we be aware of those that are around us that are watching us? The next door neighbor who's a cynical man that's been hurt by religion, let him see something beautiful and authentic. Let him see the glory of God come out of us that persecutor, that antagonist, God. Let us begin to see how you're wanting to move people's hearts to you but through us as we respond. Jesus, we just finally want to say we want to be like you. We've prayed that. Jesus, we want to be like you. But let us now accept that the way in which sometimes you do that is by teaching us, and then you give us an experience that will work our faith. You will teach us about faith, and then you will work our faith. And so, God, instead of us trying to run or be angry, God, we just say that you have us where you want us right now. If you're here this morning, and you're just right now in that that moment of flight and fear, And and frustration and anger. Trying to blame somebody. Trying to look of where would be a better place to go. Would you just put a pause on all that? And would you just say, God, here am I. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for acting the way I'm acting. God, I'm not going to respond to the circumstance. I want to respond to a greater grace that's available for me right now. I just want to give you this word of encouragement and prayer. Some of you are so close to promotion, but you're on that edge of failing the final. Don't fail your final. Stand up under it a little longer, and you'll find that you come out of it looking more like Jesus than you've ever been before. Thank you, Jesus. God, I ask for a grace right now by the Holy Spirit to strengthen your people in the midst of testing. Lord, we just receive a strength and a divine might in our inner man right now to stand up under more. I thank you for your son living inside of us and causing us to be overcomers. I thank you for that overcoming heart, that overcoming spirit welling up inside of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.
1: Awesome, good word, yes, amen, amen, good word, good word. You know, it goes right along with what even Tom shared the last two weeks, and really the whole thing of... um, Us going from a church from baby bottles to hand grenades and rifles, God's wanting to grow us up, amen? And trials are used to grow us up. This scripture was used, then I'll close the service, this came up in Tina's heart out of John, 1 John 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. And I say today, make straight the way of the Lord. Even through the trial that you're going through, it's part of making straight for the Lord to be glorified through you. Amen. And so allow your trial, stand up underneath it and grow. Amen. Father, we thank you for it. Bless your people and we love you and give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. If there is anyone here that needs prayer, our altar ministry team will still be here to pray for people. But bless you and have a great day.